Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. The Old Testament book of 1 Samuel and 1 Samuel chapter number 17. The book of 1 Samuel and chapter number 17. Now if there was one story that you knew about David, whether you were churched or not churched, it would be this story, the story of David and Goliath. A story so famous that even it is used as a, a, uh, a term between a battle between an underdog and a great giant, that it still used the battle of David and Goliath. Of course, it is one of the chapters that every Christian ought to know that as soon as 1 Samuel 17 is said, you automatically know where you're going. It is the story of David and Goliath. And we're going to be taking this almost in two parts, dealing with the actual fight with the giant on Wednesday night. But before David could get to the fight with the giant, he had to conquer other little giants along his way to be spiritually strong enough to face that giant towards the end. And so if you don't mind, take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 17. The book of 1 Samuel chapter 17 and notice with me in verse number 1. The book of 1 Samuel 17 in verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered at Shakoah, which belongeth to Judah and pitched between Shakoah and Azekah and... Uh, <coughs> Ephes Daminim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched in the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was five thousand shekels of brass. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs, and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and a spear's head weighed six hundred shekels of iron, and one bearing a shield went before him. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel, and said unto them, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am I a Philistine, and ye servants to Saul? Choose ye a man, and let him come down to me. And if he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then ye shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all the Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of that Ephurite of Bethlehem Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons. And the man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. And the elder, three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle. And the names of the sons that went into the battle were Elab, the firstborn. And next to him was Abinadab. And the third was Shemaiah. <laughs> and David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near morning and evening, and presented himself forty days. And Jesse said unto David his son, Take now for thy brethren an ephah of this parched corn, and these ten loaves, and run to the camp to thy brethren." And carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand, and look how they pledge or how thy brother fare and take their pledge. 
Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded them. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And he came and talked with them. And behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spoke according to the same words. And David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have ye seen this man that is come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches, and will give him his daughter, and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine, and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard that when he spake to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and said, Why comest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left the, those few sheep of the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mayest see the battle. And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? And he turned from him towards another and spake after the same manner. And the people answered him again after the former manner. And when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul and sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he is a, he a man of war from his youth. And David said to Saul, Thy servant kept thy father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear and took the lamb out of the flock. And I went after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them. Seeing that he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said moreover the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion. And out of the paw of the bear. He will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said unto David go and the Lord be with thee. And Saul armed David with his armor and put on a helmet of brass upon his head, and also he armed him with a coat of mail. And David girt his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off him. And he took his staff in his hand, and chose five smooth stones out of the brook, and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, even in a scrip. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. And the Philistine came on and drew near to David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh to the fowls of the air and to the beast of the field. 
Then David said to the Philistine, Thou comest with me with a sword, and with a spear, and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. And this day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand, and I will smite thee, and I will take thy head from thee, and I will give thy carcass to the host of the Philistines this day, unto the fowls of the air, and to the wild beast of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's. And he will give you into our hands. And with the Lord's help, I'd like to preach a message tonight. About David's little giants. That before David can go fight the big giant of Goliath, he had to conquer these little giants within his life. And each of these little giants led him and gave him the spiritual strength to fight the big giant. That before we could have the great victories in Jesus in our life, we must also go through these little giants as well. If you don't mind, I'd like to preach a message tonight on David's little giants. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you tonight, we're just asking that you would open up the scripture in a special way. And not only would you open up the scripture in a special way, you would open up our understanding in a special way. That there was many people in here that I believe want to be used of God in a special way. That they want to be able to fight the giants that come in our life. But before we could face the big giants and get great victories, there are certain giants in our life that have to be conquered first. I'm asking that you would give us spiritual eyes and then give us spiritual strength to follow through, that we would have a desire to be used of you, that all the earth may know there is a God in heaven. Lord, help us to realize this is more than a story. This is a historical account. And not only is it a historical account, it is a pattern to follow for our own lives, that we can see victories in our life all the time. Lord, even now as we enter into the battleground of this preaching sermon, as we enter into this, Get victories in people's lives. Prepare your servants tonight that much victory will be won because of the principles learned and applied tonight. The most dangerous thing that could be done right now, Lord, is if I preach this in my own strength. I dare not. With something this important, I dare not preach in my own strength. I know this is familiar and this is something I enjoy to preach but I have to step out of the way and it must be you and you alone that does it. It is you and your spirit alone that must do its work. So the best I know how, I'm surrendering myself to you. And ask that you fill me with your precious spirit. That you get your own work accomplished through your precious word. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Once again, before David can face the giant of Goliath in his life and see a great victory... He had to see the small giants conquered within his life. And if you don't mind, I'd like to show you seven giants that had to be conquered in David's life and seven giants that have to be conquered in our life. If we're going to see the great victories that God wants to give us through his precious spirit. Now, with each one of these seven giants, at any time, if David faltered, if David failed, he would not have been able to conquer the giant Goliath. So what I'm giving you is not suggestions. What I'm giving you here now is not things that, well, it'd be nice. You will not get to the big victories in your life if you don't get the small victories of these little giants in your life. And God can grant them to you. If you don't mind, let me show you David's first giant. The first little giant that David had to face was submission to authority. Submission to authority. Notice with me in 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse number 17. 1 Samuel 17, 17, the Bible says this. 
And Jesse said unto David his son, Take now for thy brethren an ephah of this parched corn, and these ten loaves, and run to the camp of thy brethren. Carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand, and look how thy brethren fare, and take thy pledge. When we start off here, the first little giant that David had to face in his life and the little giant that you have to conquer in your life, if you are going to be used of God, is submission to authority. Submission to authority. David's father, who is his biblical authority, pulled David aside and said, Son, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take um, an ephah of this parched corn. I want you to take these ten loaves. I want you to go to the camp to your brethren. I want you to carry these ten cheeses. And I want you to carry them up to their, their commander. And I want you to go see your brethren and see how they fare. So what he did is his dad had given him responsibility to do. And remember that whenever biblical authority gives you something, you respond one of two ways. You respond either in rebellion or you rebel in submission. May I tell you something according to the Bible? Is that God guides through biblical authority. God guides through biblical authority. And if you will not obey visible authority, you will not obey invisible authority. You say, well, what do I obey? Everything. As long as biblical authority does not give you something illegal, immoral, and biblical, you must do your best to obey biblical authority. If you do not, you don't have this giant conquered. You will not see the great giants in your life conquered. You will not. And neither would David. This is the first giant that must be conquered. Without this giant being conquered, you will not see the great victories. You'll be like the rest of all of Israel who did not see the victory. This is the first one that has to be done. Remember <coughs> that honor is an attitude. Obedience is an action. Remember, we talked about before that if a parent tells their child to go clean their room and they go, eh. Did they submit? No, they did not. They may have done an action, but they didn't honor their parents. They didn't submit to authority. And God gives us biblical authority to guide us. And this is the first giant that must be taken care of. You see, most of the problem is, is that we like to have it take it or leave it. We like to think that authority gives suggestions. And we kind of say, oh, well, that's nice, but they don't obey. And they don't do their best to obey. And they're missing out. Out on the victories that God wants them to have. And they settle for a mediocre life. The first giant that must be conquered is the, the little giant of submission to authority. The second little giant comes up is another big giant. It follows suit. You have to start with the, the uh, biblical authority to be able to, unless they ask you something illegal, immoral, or biblical, you do your best with your heart. Remember that doing God's will is not just simply doing it. It's delighting in God's will. Delighting in what the biblical authority has given you. After that comes the second giant. The second giant is the disciplined life. The disciplined life. So David was given by his biblical authority instructions to do. And he didn't talk back to his dad. He didn't rebel and say, why do I have to do it? I don't want to go. He didn't say, well, I'll bring this, but I won't bring this. But he submitted. The second thing was the disciplined life. And without a disciplined life, you will not see the great victories in your life that Jesus wants to give you. Notice, if you don't mind, in verse number, <coughs> excuse me, in verse number 20. And David rose up early in the morning and left his sheep with a keeper and took and went as Jesse commanded him. And he came to the trench and the host was fighting forth 
to the fight and shouted for the battle. Notice in verse 22. And David left his carriage in the house of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. Here we see the disciplined life. Notice that first phrase in verse number 20. And David rose up early. There's a disciplined life. That if you're going to have victory in, in Jesus, there has to be some discipline. You can't just wake up whenever you want. You need to wake up in enough time to get things accomplished. If you don't wake up enough time to spend time with God, then you've failed your entire day. If you don't wake up in enough time to get things accomplished, part of the problem is that people don't have a disciplined life. The Bible talks about in the book of 2 Timothy, it says, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Not entangling himself in the affairs of his this life that he may please him who had chosen him to be a soldier what is the idea of a soldier in every account of a soldier whether it's in movies or books or whatever else whether the soldier is a good guy or a bad guy they're all known for one thing discipline discipline that they don't have to be told hey wake up they have enough discipline to be able to do it on their own this is what needs to be done and it gets done there's a disciplined life to be able to have your life in order so that way the things don't hang up. To be able to go to sleep in enough time to wake up the next morning or the next appointed time. That someone who doesn't have a schedule of waking up, going to bed unless work is the one <laughs> going crazy, they don't have a disciplined life and they're not going to have the structure they need. You understand part of having a disciplined life is having an organized life. Having a life where you have enough initiative of yourself. You will not, will not see the great victories in your life without a disciplined life. He rose up early. But notice this. In verse 20, he rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper. You see, he still had responsibilities. His job was to take the sheep. He didn't say, all right, dad told me to do something. And he took off and left his other responsibilities undone. Part of having a disciplined life is to make sure that the things that you can't get to is taken care of by someone else. In this case, David said, it's my job to watch the sheep. I can't just leave the sheep by himself. I have to make sure that someone is there to take my place. To make sure that that other responsibility is done. You understand? God-given responsibilities, we're supposed to accomplish them all. The things that God has given us to do. Now, self-appointed stuff, that may complicate things. But we're supposed to accomplish everything that God has given us to do. And it causes a disciplined life. It causes structured life, a scheduled life. This is part of it. You must have become a responsible person. If he had not been a disciplined person, he could not have been in the fight with here. Now, how do you become a responsible person? We recognize our personal accountability with the Lord. One day you will give an action or account to God for everything you have done in your Christian life. And knowing that you are personally accountable, that gives you discipline. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, the Bible says. We're going to stand before God and give an account for the things that we do in our life. For the time that we use. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians, redeeming the time. To buy back, to use it wisely. That's part of a disciplined life. And you will give an account to God for your actions and how well you use the time he gave you. You recognize your own accountability to the Lord. That I'm responsible to God. That is why I wake up early. I'm responsible to God. That's why I make sure these duties are done. It comes with your personal, <coughs> personal responsibility unto the Lord. Now we understand <coughs> excuse me, that the most dangerous people that you will ever meet are the people that do not hold themselves accountable. The most dangerous people you will meet are the people that don't hold themselves accountable. They don't have any discipline. They don't foresee or care about the consequences. It doesn't matter if I wake up at a certain time or not. I'll sleep in, hit snooze for 10 hours. Without that disciplined life, they're untrustworthy. They're dangerous. You can't count on them. And 
More than that, they have no accountability to God. And without accountability of God, their life leads to abuse. Abuse of their time. Abuse and trust in others. Without this this accountability, you are not trustworthy. The Bible talks about in the book of Proverbs that confidence in an unfaithful man is like a foot out of joint. It says in a different one, like a tooth out of joint. Have you ever had a tooth that's been exposed and and has the uh, root exposed so every time you take a breath you feel it? That's what it's like to put your confidence in an unfaithful man. It's going to hurt you in the end. It's going to hurt you in the end. So for us not to hurt people, for us to be trusted by God, there has to be discipline. There has to be a personal accountability to the Lord. For the children of Israel at this time, they esteemed their lives more important than God's reputation and God's name. When David went out there, not a single person took uh, (laughs) the Goliath's challenge. Why? They had no discipline. They had no personal accountability to the Lord. They said, I am more important than others. This is part of that abuse of no discipline. It's all about them. And they're they're not counted on. They're not trustworthy. So David had to fight two giants already. The first giant was submission to authority. Authority gave him responsibility. He didn't talk back. He didn't fight. He didn't make excuses. He said, yes, sir, and got it done. The second one was a disciplined life that he rose up early. He made sure his other jobs were taken care of while he went to go take care of the orders that was given to him. That's part of a disciplined life. The third giant now comes up and it is a difficult giant to face. Now, remember, you face these in order. It starts with submission and authority. If you will not obey visible authority, you will not obey invisible authority. You will not see victory. The next one, once you start obeying authority, you are responsible for getting it done. It requires a disciplined life to obey the authority and what God has given you to do. The third one now is one of the hardest ones. Indifference in others. Indifference in others. Notice with me in verse 23. So David comes and he's watching everyone in the fight and the lack of fighting. And verse 23... And as he talked with them, behold, there came the champion of the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spoke according to the same words. And David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spoke to the men that stood by him saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth the Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, so shall it be done to the man that killeth him. All right, so David goes out there and he hears this guy cursing God. It's not just he's cursing the army, he's cursing God. He's saying, "Uh, where's your God at? I thought you guys were the armies of the living God. Where's your God at? Is someone brave enough to trust their God to come out and face me? And nobody came out. David heard this and says, why isn't someone out there showing him who's boss? How come someone's not out there trusting in God and seeing victory done? And the people said, not my job, not me. And what he sees is indifference in others. This is a difficult phase. We have to rise above the indifference in others. That when we start getting excited, we see what the Bible says and sees we're supposed to go tell people about the Lord. And you start saying, yeah, I need to go pass out tracts. And you start telling people, hey, I passed out a track. And the people say, yay. You're like, why aren't you excited? Man, I've been reading the Bible. Let me tell you what I read in the Bible. And people are like, that's nice. How come you're not excited about it? Do you understand? Very few people, very few people will reach this place where They're excited about the things of God and they look at others and nothing is more of a wet blanket than seeing that nobody else cares. 
as my job as a pastor seems like I'm almost a cheerleader saying, come on, guys, come on, guys, come on, guys. And the people are like, yay. Why aren't you excited about the things of the Lord? Why does it feel like we have to twist people's arm? Indifference in others. Not a big deal. Not my job. When there's a Satan over there who's calling God's name and saying, where is the army of the living God? And everybody says, not me. Not me. And we wonder why we don't have victory. We wonder why things aren't done. Because of indifference of others. Well, no one else is going out there, so why should I? No one else is excited about it. You know, you have to rise above it. I don't care if no one else is excited about it. I'm going to be excited about it. I don't care if people don't think they can face the giant. I'm going to face the giant. I don't care if nobody's excited that people are getting saved. I'm going to be excited that people are saved. You have to rise above the indifference in others. And there's a lot of indifference. Because most Christians do not care. They don't see that there's a battle that can be won. They don't see that there's a God who can give much strength. They're just satisfied with, I call myself a Christian and living my life in status quo. You know, in order to change the future, you must stir up the present. There's got to be some changes. There's got to be something. And again, I will never be able to pump up the masses. Won't happen. If I think that, I'm going to ruin myself as a pastor. But what I can expect is that someone will get excited. Someone will say, this is what God's given me. And get excited about the things of the Lord. Get excited about Bible reading. Get excited about answers to prayer. Get excited that people can get saved. And there's so many lost people out there. And, and encourage them that even if no one else cares. No one else is excited. That you still need to go anyways. Because you haven't even got to the big giant yet. This is a giant that slays so many of God's people. The indifference in others where they just don't care. God often uses indifference to let us know that there's something wrong. There's something wrong. When a church is indifferent, there's something bad wrong. And their eyes are not on the Lord. That's the whole problem. Their eyes are not on the Lord. They're on the circumstances. And they're content with the circumstances. They don't want to shake things up too much. Because they don't want to be in the battle. And we wonder why victory can't be won. For someone to be able to face that giant Goliath. And remember out of the thousands of Israel. There was only one. That went to go trust God enough to go fight the giant. And it started off with submission to authority. He had to develop the habit of obedience to God through visible authority in his life. Or he would not obey invisible authority. The second thing was <coughs> the disciplined life. That a true soldier of Jesus Christ will have discipline in his life. The third thing is indifference in others. The third giant, that even when no one was excited, everyone was afraid. No one wanted to trust God for it. Someone had to. And even if no one else will follow God, if no one else will get excited, that servant of the Lord, that soldier of the Lord has to be excited and has to be willing to obey God even when everyone else has a wet blanket. When everyone else says, you'll get over it. Oh, I heard once... Of a young Christian who's get excited. He's tithing. He's showing up to church. He's showing up to everything. He doesn't know which services he's supposed to show up. So he shows up to them all. And he's there and he's excited. And he's thrilled. And the preacher says go pass out tracts. He's passing out tracts. And some old crusted Christian says you'll get over it. Why? You don't have to get over it. You can stay excited. But the problem is, is that there's so many old crusty backslidden Christians who are not excited as that young Christian, they try to put out his fire with all the wet blankets. You'll get over it. 
And we wonder why we're not seeing victories. The indifference in others. Once you get past the indifference of others, comes the next giant. The next giant that we see is opposition and rejection from a loved one. Opposition and rejection from a loved one. Notice with me in verse 28. And Eliab his, <coughs> Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why comest thou hither? And for whom hast thou left the sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thy heart. For when thou come down, thou mayest see the battle. So his older brother says, what in the world are you doing out here? He gets mad. You can almost see the older brother grab David by the arm and pull him aside. What are you doing out here? Who told you to be out here? I know the naughtiness of your heart. You just wanted to see the battle. You left your job. You left the sheep out in the wilderness, didn't you? They're just wandering around. But you just snuck out because you wanted to see the battle. How to deal with the opposition of a loved one. The rejection of a loved one. You understand, in order to follow the Lord, there are going to be periods where you're separated from everyone else. As long as you are dependent upon your family's acceptance, you will not serve God. And this is a holdback because family becomes a great anchor. You say, but I love my family. You should love your family. But you need to love Christ more. Remember, Jesus Christ described this when he said, follow me. And he talked about <coughs> that if someone does not love me more than father, mother, brother, sister, family, they cannot, cannot be my disciple if they do not hate their brother. You say, hey, that's a bad thing. Uh, I can't hate my brother. Well, there's one brother I might be able to hate, but uh, maybe I get enough hate just to cover everyone. That's not how it works. The idea is that you love God so much that the love that you have for Christ pales in comparison to the love that you have for everyone else, that Christ's love is so supreme. You understand that the people that will hold you back the most is your family who doesn't understand you following God. I remember as a young teenager beginning to go to church and get excited, reading my Bible, showing up Sunday morning, Sunday night, Sunday school, Wednesday night, and my parents pulled me aside and said, well, this is an intervention. We're pulling you aside. Are you joining a cult? No one should be this serious about going to church. Are you sure you're not in a cult? And I remember them grilling on me. And I said, no, I'm just following the Lord. This is great. Remember when I said, I believe that God wants me to be a preacher. My dad had the idea, you're going to starve. How are you going to feed yourself? I remember in the Air Force when I said I was going to get out. And they said, what do you believe the Lord? Or what are you going to do when you get out of the Air Force? It, back then, I thought I was going to evangelism. And I said, I believe that I'm supposed to go evangelism. Well, what do you do there? I travel from church to church. And I preach and I try to encourage people. And they say, how do you survive? I say, depend upon the Lord. And, and these lost people thought about uh, giving me a love offering. They gave me luggage, but they gave me a almost gave me a love offering and said, man, you're going to starve here. We're going to try to feed you, you know, so you don't die. Well, thanks. Appreciate it. When no one else, you know, the people that you respect, your loved ones, if it's not family, it's a friend who's greatly saying, what in the world are you doing? You're crazy. I meant you're going to church on a Sunday night. Who does that? Thanks. Appreciate it. Why do you go to that church? Because this is what I believe the Lord wants me to do. Why? Can't you go to something a little bit nicer? Somewhere where the preacher is not so mean? You know, they're nice. Everyone has wet blankets. Hey, I want to follow the Lord. This is what I believe that God wants me to do. And they'll list all the reasons why you can't do it. And you have to say, I'm going to follow the Lord anyways. Even if my family says they won't talk to you no more. Even if your family gets upset because you said, I'm just trying to do what the Lord's given me to do. You see, this, if someone is going to see victory in the Lord, they will face the opposition from a loved one. Someone that they love, someone that they respect. That is part 
of the, of the battles you will have to face if you're going to be used of God. Is that you're going to have the opposition and the rejection. You know, some people are so close to family. And praise the Lord for family so close. But if their family rejects them for following the Lord, they will have a hard time moving forward. Some child who doesn't want to go to the mission field and surrender like God wants them to because they're afraid mama wants them at home and wants to hold on to the apron strings. I don't want to serve God because mama wants me home. That's a hard thing to face. To say, I've got to follow Jesus even if mama doesn't want me to go. I need to follow Jesus no matter what. My family and friends, my ones that I respect, I have to follow after him. Because if you don't make this choice, you cannot see the giant Goliath fall before you and to see this great victory. This is part of God building a soldier of Jesus Christ. It starts off by submission to authority. And if you're not willing to be obedient to the visible authority in your life, the rest of this is not. That's the first thing. After that, you must develop a disciplined life. You must get to the place where you're reading your Bible every day. You have to have the discipline to pray. The discipline to be faithful to God's house. Because without the faithfulness, moreover, it is required in a steward that he be found faithful. And without that faithfulness, he can't be used. Then you come to the indifference of others. That the more that you serve God, the more that you'll realize that the Christians around you, even in your own church, don't care. And they're not excited like you are. And you could either be as unexcited as they are, or you leave them behind and move forward. But then when you start really getting serious about it, and you're passing out tracts, and you're going to the, to the, to the um, restaurant, your family's there, and you say, let's pray before we eat. And they look at you and say, out loud. And then when the waitress comes and you say, hey, I appreciate this. I'm not going to hide the track of the money. I'm going to give it to you. Is there anything I can do to pray for you? Are you 100% sure if you die today, go to heaven? And witness to the waitress in front of them. And your family says, starts being embarrassed to be with you. What are you going to do? You understand you're going to have to make a choice. Do you serve God or do you please your family? Do you serve God or do you try to keep yourself accepted by your loved ones and your friends? Now we come to the next one. The fifth giant. Unbelief and intimidation from someone in authority. The unbelief and intimidation with someone in authority. Notice with me in verse number 30. So David said, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Why shouldn't I go? He had to stand up before his brother and say, hey, I'm not naughty. Is there not a cause? Look at this. There's not a cause. Aren't we supposed to be doing something? Well, this word got to Saul. Notice with me in verse 30. And he turned from him to another and spake after the same manner. And the people answered him again after the former manner. And when he, the words were heard that David spoke, they rehearsed them before Saul and he sent for them. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go up against the Philistine and fight for him, for thou art but a youth, and he is a man of war from his youth. And David said to Saul, Thy servant kept thy sheep. And there was a lion and a bear and took the lion out of the flock. And I went after them and smote him and delivered him out of his mouth. And when he arose up against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. And thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And, David said, and Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. Now we come to King Saul. It was told, Hey, this little peep squeak guy is saying, I'll go fight Goliath. Saul said, I want to see the guy who's finally saying, I'll go fight him. And he brings David in. So David, the youth, David, who is not as big and strong as Saul, comes in before Saul and says, I'll fight him. <laughs> you're going to what? You're just a little punk kid. You think you're going to serve God. And he laughs at him. Rejects him. You can't go fight Goliath. You out of your mind. This is... Is a warrior. You're a little punk kid. 
When authority rejects us. When authority is unbelieving. And they start to try to intimidate you. You are going to fail. There's nothing harder when a mom and dad tells their child that they're not going to be able to serve God. There's nothing more devastating than a teacher who laughs at you because of your beliefs. And you have to know, when you come to this trial, you have to know in your heart what God wants you to do or you're not going to get past it. You have to know in your heart what you believe and be willing to follow or you can't get past it. Because it's one thing to be able to talk to a peer. I'm going to serve God and they don't have nothing to do. It's another thing when it's someone in authority and you have to tell them, I'm going to go serve God. And they look at you and says, no, it can't be done. You're going to fail. Ridiculous. You want to do what? And they reject you because of their unbelief. And you're going to have to be able to stand up to them in submission, not rebellion, and say, listen, I believe this is what the Lord wants me to do, and I've got to go. I've got to do this. Whether it's passing out a track. Do you believe that God give it to you to do? If you believe it, just pastor, give it to do. As soon as authority comes, you go, whoop. Disappear, leave. But if you believe that this is what God's given you to do. Make it your business. This is what God's given me to do. And to be able to stand up. And not being uh, rude. Not being rebellious. But saying, I've got to obey my God. And this is what he's given me to do. This is a hard one to do. With the people in authority. To be able to go to mom and dad. And say, I'm a Christian. And I believe differently than you. And I still love you. But this is what I've got to do. When they say that you can never be used of God. He had to face Saul. And when Saul laughed at him. Could you imagine David's humiliation? Saul laughing at him. You're a punk kid. You think you're going to fight this giant? Don't you understand who this guy is? David had to respond. Let me tell you how God's helped me before. And he made sure that at the end. He made sure that he recognized it was God that defeated the bear. It was God that defeated the lion. And it will be God that defeats the Philistine. He's just going to use me. It's not me. It's all him. When it's God doing the battle, anything can be done. If it's me doing the battle, of course I'm going to lose. It's got to be God. It's got to be him. And you have to know this is what God has given you to do. The unbelief and intimidation from someone in authority. Which brings us now to the sixth giant. David has had to conquer these giants, by the way, all in one day. He had to have the develop, he had to have the habit of already facing all of these things so that when they came, they didn't disrail him. It didn't cause him where he had doubted his faith and he had to go whimper away for a couple of weeks and then try to get his strength. This was right in a row. He had to have the character and already face these things in his life. Then we come. To some of the hardest battles. The temptation to do God's work. Man's way. The temptation to do God's work. Man's way. Notice with me in verse 38. And Saul armed David with his armor. And put a helmet of brass upon his head. And he armed him with a coat of mail. And David girt his sword upon his armor. And he essayed to go. For he had not proved it. So what happened is that Saul had put one of his army's um, coat of mail. Now what happened is that Saul's in charge. He didn't give David his personal armor because it wouldn't have fit. It would have been ridiculous for him to go out with Saul's big army. What it is is that Saul had commissioned armor to be built for his soldiers. Now that they are allowed to have swords. Now that they've been winning battles. And so he said here. You guard come here take off your your coat of mail, take uh, your chain mail off, take your helmet off, and let's give it to David. You know, you look about the same size, so they put it on, and it fit David, but David's been a shepherd boy. He hasn't been trained in this. It's almost like giving uh, a 17-year-old an M16 and said, all right, you can do it, and not giving them any training. and hope they don't shoot anybody or shoot themselves. You understand? David hadn't... Haven't proved it. It hasn't been experienced. He's not used to it. He's going to lose the battle by going out and doing something that hasn't been tried. What has been tried for David? Him trusting God. Saul said, nope, in order for you to win the battle, you got to do it this way. This is the way, this is, this is how you win battles, is you got to do it this way. 
But God wanted to do something that was outside of man's logic. What do you mean? You're going to go out there with your shepherd's staff and a sling and you're going to face this guy? And David had to say, listen, we're going to trust God. We're not going to trust doing it man's way. And this is a big temptation because we understand that we have biblical message that never change. We have biblical methods that never change. The means change, meaning how we do it. For example, they didn't have internet back in that day. Is there something wrong with spreading the gospel on the internet? No, as long as the message doesn't change. It's still the same message and still the same means. One in one confrontation. We confront people with the gospel. And so we have different means, but the method doesn't change and the message doesn't change. <coughs> the temptation is that people like to do things man's way. I know what we're going to do is we're going to get the gospel out by putting a rock band in. And if we have the right type of rock music, the people go, oh yeah, I want to listen to that God. Well, that's doing it man's way rather than God's way. It's doing things through man's logic. You know man can get some things accomplished. But we should not be satisfied with what man can get done. We want to be satisfied with what God can get done. And we want to do it in such a way that we say God what do you want us to do? And whatever he tells us we do that. And if we do that what happens is that in 10 years time when people come to this church. And they say how in the world did all this happen? And the only thing we can do is say I don't know it was God. It wasn't us. Wasn't our plan. We just were obedient to what God told us to do. That God's work must be done God's way. There is an idea of pragmatism. The word pragmatism carries the idea is that the end justifies the means. That it doesn't matter how we do it as long as we get the result. Well, God is just as interested in how we do things, especially since the result is not up to us. We can't get people saved. God is concerned on how we lead, give them the Lord. What the things we do. How we run a church service. Because the results are up to him. Not up to us. The ends do not justify the means. We must do things correctly. Decently in order the way that God instructed it. We can't take shortcuts. And we can't bypass it. And say that we've got a better idea. Than what God has already given us. But this is a great temptation and you will not see the great giants when you compromise. You understand there's more to God's work than just mimicking the world. That when the church imitates the world, all it is is a cheap imitation. Do you know that the world can produce Hollywood movies better than a church can? <laughs> the world can produce great productions better than the church can. You understand that today there's such a compromise in God's work that in Chicago a couple years ago, they had advertised in the paper, we need a music leader as long as your musical will accept you. They advertised to a lost world. There are churches today that hire Hollywood directors, Hollywood stunt people, Hollywood sound people that are not saved to run their production in the church. All they could reproduce is a cheap imitation of the world. And they're going to get the results of a cheap imitation of the world. And the world laughs at the church for doing that. Because we, can, we can't keep up with the world. And the world knows that we should be something completely different. We must do God's work God's way. But that's a fight. Let me tell you how many times someone's come up to me and said, Preacher... You would have a much, yeah, the, the preaching you have is awesome. It's great. There's so much knowledge. There's science and history. We love to hear it. But if you get rid of that invitation, you'll get a lot more people to come. No, absolutely not. How many times people have come up to me and said, preacher, you know, you got such a small church. In order to get bigger, you need to put a band up here and put some drums and some guitar and people will come in. No. You know, it takes a lot of bravery to say no. Especially when they say, well, then I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm sorry. I mean, I don't want them to leave. It's not my desire for them to leave, but I can't compromise on what God said. And you know, that takes some backbone sometimes. That takes some strength. Especially when you're still small church and you don't want to see anyone leave. But you have to say, this is where the Bible stands and we have to stand here. And not try to be mean and push them, but you can't do God's work man's way. 
It has to be done according to the scriptures, the way that it says. It takes strength to say no to the king. <laughs> Can you imagine David when he's trying out the armor and he has to go say, King Saul, I'm sorry, this isn't going to work. Well, what are you going to use? I'm going to use a sling. You're going to do what? Don't you see how armored that guy is? And you're going to bring a sling? I got to do what I know works. I got to go out there with what God has proven himself over and over with. I'm going to go out there with faith. Not just a sling. I'm going to go out there with the faith of God. You're going to get murdered. I'm going to trust God. He had to say no to him and that was hard. Which brings us to the seventh giant. The seventh giant. Are we going to go in our strength or the strength of the Lord? Are we going to go in our strength or the strength of the Lord? Notice as we pick it up in verse number 41. And the Philistine came and drew near to David. And the man that bare his shield went out before him. So here we have Goliath. And I'll give the stats on Goliath on um, Wednesday. But this nine foot four guy comes out. And before him is the guy holding the shield. So Goliath is behind the guy with the shield. They come out. Goliath comes out. You could almost feel the earth tremble with every step coming out. Goliath is the heavyweight champion of the world. And here comes little shepherd boy <laughs> David. Ruddy, small countenance from Bethlehem, Judah. And he comes out. He has no armor. He has no sword. He has a shepherd's staff. And he has a sling. And Goliath comes out here and says, what is this? Notice as Goliath picks it up in verse 42. And when the Philistine looked about, he almost looked around. He kind of overlooked David. This is it? And he disdained him. What is this little punk guy? Are you lost? He looked at him, made fun of him. What are you doing out here? Uh, did, did your mommy lose you somewhere? Hey, he's looking for his mommy. Anyone find his mommy? And he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest we with staves? He says, What? You think I'm some little dog that you're going to hit me with your little stick? Huh? And he cursed David by his gods. Meaning David, or Goliath, used his gods of the Philistine and says, you little punk, and starts swearing to him and says, you're nothing. And this God thinks of this of you and this God thinks of this of you. And he starts to bring religion into it, starts bringing up his God. Goliath's gods is better than this little punk little kid. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I'll give thy flesh to the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. So you can imagine this big giant come to me. Fight. And I'm going to take your, I'm going to kill you. And I'm going to let the birds eat your flesh. I'm going to let the dogs come and lick your wounds. You come and I'll make it quick. And so David, being a normal child, just repeats what he says. Nuh-uh, let me tell you what I'm going to do. Verse 45. And David said unto the Philistine, Thou comest with me a sword and with a spear and a shield. But I come in the name of the Lord of the host. The God of the armies of Israel whom thou has defiled. So David says, you got a sword, you got a spear, you got a shield. But let me tell you, I got something stronger. I got God on my side. You know how much bravery that takes, talk, uh, takes when you're talking to a nine foot four guy? And you have no armor, no shield, no gun, no bazooka, nothing. I come to you in the name of God. You know there's something about that name. And the God of the armies of Israel whom thou defiled. Hey, you made a mistake. You want to tell you what your first mistake was? You said my God wasn't big enough. So let's find out if my God is big enough. You know, I almost think that inside of the Philistine's heart, Goliath, something twang. This little punk just said his God can beat me up. Just for, I mean, he probably didn't show it. Just something inside of him probably went cold and said, What? What? And so, David continues on. This day will the Lord deliver thee into thy hand. And I will smite thee and thy head from thee. And I'll give the carcass of the host of the Philistines this day to the fowls of the air and to the wild beast. He just repeated what uh, 
what Goliath said. Nuh-uh, I'm going to cut off your head and your flesh is going to be given to the birds. And your carcass is going to be given to the dogs. Well, David probably didn't have a lot of time to learn insults in school. So he just repeated what Goliath told him. <laughs> and he says, but I will tell you something. That all the earth may know that there's a God in heaven. You know, every victory in our life must be won by living conscious of God. Knowing that God is with us. That God is there and it is his name. That God wants to win the battle and we can trust him to win the battle. You understand the measure of a ministry is not by how large it is. But in its likeness to Jesus Christ. The true measure of a man is not by how much success he has. But in his likeness to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the measure of us. That is the measure. Are you like Jesus? And there is no shortcuts to be like Jesus. You understand? The idea is when we come to the spiritual battles in our life. Have you already been in the habit of being with the Lord and knowing that God is with you and trusting him that he can win the battle? When you go face Goliath like this, this didn't happen overnight. This happened by a lifetime of him walking with God. A lifetime of him trusting God. Before he could get to the big giant of Goliath, he had to conquer these small giants and let God prove himself over and over you will not be able to face the big giants in your life until you face the little giants. If you have a problem with authority, whether it's pastor or your husband or whatever it is, then you're not going to see the big victories in your life. If you have an undisciplined life where you can't get out of bed, you have to push snooze for three hours, you have to put an alarm clock inside of your... Um, Dresser wrapped up in socks that you had to go get out of bed and unwind it. You're going to have a hard time getting victory in the Lord. Part of it is that you need to go to bed at a decent time. You need to plan your schedule. Why? If you need eight hours of sleep, then get eight hours of sleep. But don't catch it in the morning. Catch it at night. There's a discipline to the life. You have to have discipline to read your Bible. You will not have victory in your life if you're not in the habit of reading your Bible. So it starts off with submission to authority. You will not obey invisible authority till you obey visible authority. You have to have a disciplined life. After that, you have to continue to follow the Lord even when no one else seems to be excited about it. When no one else cares. When you're excited about souls getting saved and nobody cares, you have to be willing to do it on your own and still willing to go. Then beyond that, not only the indifference, the opposition with people. When people are upset that you're going to church, I don't understand why you're always reading your Bible. Don't you get something else to do? Why are you always quoting scripture? Don't you have something better to say? When people start, <laughs> start rejecting you, then it comes to the idea of intimidation by someone in authority because of their unbelief. When it comes to a parent and they say, you're going to fail. Don't, can't you do something better with your life? Don't, can't you do something else? Maybe a trusted professor. Maybe someone, a boss or employer. Someone that you look up to that has unbelief. And they look at you and say, it can't be done. You're out of your mind. When you come to the temptation to do God's work in man's way. It can only be done by God's way. It can only be done through biblical methods and biblical with a biblical message. Those can't change. They have to go with the Bible. That you can't follow every new idea that hits. You have to stay with what the Bible says. And then are you going to battle in your strength? Or are you going to battle in the strength of the Lord? That you have to say I could trust God. God could win the victory. I need Jesus. That you're not dependent on yourself. The most dangerous time in your life is when you think you can. You have to say, I can't do this. It must be Jesus. And depend upon him. Throw yourself and say, God can do it. I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. Don't, you have to know where you get your strength from. It is then that you could go face the big giants that God will put in your life. Caleb says, I want that mountain. I want that mountain. Where did it come from? It came from a lifetime of walking with God. Before it came to face those giants on the mountain. It starts with everyday battles. You will not win the big battle in life. Unless you're seeing the battles won. 
in your daily life. This is where it starts. And God can use you and God could do some amazing things that you can't even think of yet. But it starts by getting daily victories in your everyday life. Before David could face the big giant, he had to conquer the little giants in his own life. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.